Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Drew Hodgson, you were in Baltimore just recently. You just got back, and now it makes sense why you went to Baltimore. It's because Michael K. Williams died, and you were honoring him. I was there specifically for the event. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, you, had, uh, you had sent this to me. You said that the Ravens last week. I didn't see this. Maybe I wasn't watching the highlight shows or anything enough, uh, but the Ravens, in honor of the death of Michael K. Williams, who played the part of Omar, in the wire which is set in baltimore they did his his infamous approach whistle at the game right right yeah i didn't um i i hadn't i look i'm gonna be honest with you i didn't watch the wire i've watched like a third of an episode ever um so i watched i'll play it right now then i have to check with my boss to be sure that's okay but usually they like (laughs) usually they like you playing stuff like this because it's just a promotion we're just doing it for editorial purposes so uh let me be sure you can hear this and then I'll edit it out if I'm disallowed. Okay, yeah, I couldn't figure that out legally, so I'll just describe what happens. Omar, played by Michael K. Williams, is walking down the street with a long coat and a shotgun whistling. The farmer in the dell. He doesn't sing the last part. He whistles the whole time. But uh, innocent enough, right? A little nursery rhyme or song and it's scary as scary as hell because it's michael k williams and he's got a shotgun and you can see a couple younger kids just scrambling taking off running because they're scared bleepless that omar is coming down the street now back to the show so uh very menacing this omar character from the the wire and uh i only i know that he played omar on the wire because when i was watching boardwalk empire um, I, I remember telling somebody like, dude, there's this character named Chalky White and he's played by this dude, this unknown actor who's just a badass. And the guy was like, yeah, you, you idiot. That's Omar from The Wire. 
Uh, so I, uh, so I, <laughs> I learned, Oh, okay. So he's over from the wire and that's what people, I probably a lot more right. people watched the wire than there were people that watched, uh, that, that watched boardwalk empire. Yeah. Well, it was just, uh, I mean, they were both really, really popular shows. I think, yeah. um, I mean, the wire has just held on for so long. It's had the staying power where people like still rewatch the wire all the time. I mean, the wire is like in my you know top three shows probably of all time, but that specific, that um you know however they decided to honor him at that baltimore game i mean yeah. i'm probably like you or i'm pretty cynical i mean most of that stuff like usually rings a little oh uh, like gimmicky or something uh, kind of is yeah it like, is it yeah. like what sometimes sometimes you can tell at a game back when they used to when they used to get paid for this, like the military promotions that were paid for and a yep. little bit over the top versus like the really organic ones where it's Exactly. You, you, like when you're honoring an individual. So, okay, I got you. Yeah, completely. Kinda, That's exactly right. Cynical yeah. about stuff like that. I, I really am. Yeah. A lot of that stuff just feels like a little forced. It feels a little like it's exploitative sometimes and they're taking yeah. advantage of like a moment and they're, it's just kind of like, you know, they're looking for a reason to market or brand something, but which this I is, a little... this is something that the Ravens do really well. They do a lot of stuff that if not done properly would seem very tacky, but right. they do it, and this goes back to when they first were in Baltimore, and and we would go up and play there. They have like they have a very college atmosphere because they have a marching band. They've got like male and female cheerleaders. There, except except they're not bound by the rules of of collegiate or high school athletes, and they're right. tossing these women. These male cheerleaders are tossing the women like forty feet in the air. It's freaking yeah. scary. But they also have the marching band and um. And then they do the and then even the white stripes thing, that whole I'm going to Baltimore, that song. They also mentioned Wichita in that song, but somehow it's all about Baltimore <laughs> there. Right. Like that's yeah. that that gets annoying and old, but I can totally see how if I were in Baltimore, that song would get me going. Well, and the thing is, like, that is such a the the setting in the wire and that show is just so critical to the whole formula of the show. Yeah. On top of Omar just being this iconic sort of character that everybody recognizes. And so I guess that's all to say I, they nailed it. I mean, I was watching it and I was like getting the chills watching it. it. Not, and I, I it, mean, I loved I, it. I I've loved always it. wondered about this, though, because it's it's not the best portrayal of the city of Baltimore, is it? No, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> like it's, no. it's like almost everything ugly and bad about Baltimore, except even amplified. Like. <laughs> Is it, are the police right. like, is Omar is Omar a dirty cop or is he a good cop? He's not a cop. Oh, he's, he's not? not a cop. No, he's wearing he's, a badge in that video I was watching. No, he's like a vigilante drug dealer. Oh, oh, so is he like like old school mobster that like looks out for his neighborhood? He just yeah, kind of. He's this. He's he, that's why he's such an interesting character because he's he's a bit of like an antihero. Okay, because he's going around taking out other drug dealers and people that are competing with them. But, but these are also, like guys that sell the kids and stuff where like, like, does he have kind of a moral code about yeah, it? Yeah, he has a bit of a code, but he's okay. absolutely still a murderer. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where <laughs> that's kind of what he was in, yeah. in uh, as Chalky White in Boardwalk right. Empire, too. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of like the he was in Harlem representing sort of just like this uh, 
this class of how, you know, like minorities could get ahead in that kind of world. Yeah. You know, and so it was really interesting. I mean, he's he's great in that show. Well, and then, so I went down this Michael K. Williams rabbit hole a little bit and I started I watched uh, videos of him dancing because he started out as a professional dancer. He was like right. a backup to Madonna and people like that. Oh, yeah. And, he's amazing. He's an incredible yeah. dancer, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he was a professional dancer. Yeah. And Madonna only hires the best. So uh, <laughs> it's true. As we, as we, we, we all know. We you know put that. on a show. I watched that that show, <laughs> that movie with the bustier and everything. That was a big deal. That was the closest thing we had to actual porn. The bustier. The yeah. Good God. By yeah, Jean-Paul right. Gaultier. <laughs> I remember that it was uh, that yeah. uh, whatever that book she had. That yeah. Book. And they were walking down the Champs-Élysées. Yeah. <laughs> so so he was good. But I so I'm, I go to watch this interview and I'd never seen an interview with him before. But I was kind of worried that it was going to be kind of a, a Henry Winkler type thing. Like, remember right. when you're a kid and the Fonz was the, the baddest dude on television and you thought the Fonz was so cool. And then the first time you see an interview with Henry Winkler, you're like, oh my God, this guy, yeah. what the hell? This is the Fonz? Especially, yeah. as a, especially as a preteen boy, it ruins your world. So I was wondering what Michael K. Williams would, would be like. And he's, you can totally see how he obviously is really intelligent and sensitive and all that stuff, the things that make a good actor. But that voice and that scar and like everything about him, he still has kind of a men- even as he's being the most congenial person on earth, you could see how if he wanted to, he could scare the shit out of you. Like immediately. Totally. Yeah. 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 His presence. That, uh, he has one of those things. It's just like pure, pure pr- presence. He said he got that scar. I think I think he said he got that scar like in an accident on a set or on a job or something. But he said that scar ended up working out really well for him because one of his early roles was in a Tupac movie, the Tupac movie. And Tupac saw the, the photo and he said, why? He said something like well, that. Yeah, that guy's thug enough to play my little brother or something. Um, it was Tupac using the word thug, not me. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't fault me. me being like, oh, those yeah. thugs. I don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah. So he's uh, he that voice is just was just so crazy. Oh, um, yeah. Fantastic. You're going to you're going to have to watch it now. Yeah, I, I will have to. So, uh, oh, and then I have to ask you, too, because I noticed this while I was watching that video. What, where do you find all these websites? You send me these articles from these websites and they, they annoy the ever piss out of me. Remember the way the thing kept reloading the whole time? It, it, I think this was IndieWire.com or something. <laughs> yeah. Remember the yeah. last? Remember the time you sent me that website, that article <laughs> yeah, about the, the girl from OnlyFans? <laughs> and, you know, God yeah. bless her. She's probably broke you... right now because they're banning sex from the platform. I uh, know. Well, no, they brought it back. They made oh, they it about face. <laughs> yeah, they did a quick 180. That lasted like 72 hours. <laughs> they turned around and went like, wait a minute. Did we even talk about this? <laughs> did you Before really? we cut our own Dude. legs off? You know what happens without knowing anything about that story, other than like very surface level skimming, the, skimming the headlines. I saw people get irate about it on both directions that this right. is not for me, this story. I, I guarantee you that was some damn executive watched a TED Talks and uh, and was like, oh, well, this is, you know, we, we need to aspire for more than this. And this was just our jumping off point. But this will be the moment like when when the Apple II was launched or something, when we decided oh, to. To yeah. go non-porn. Yeah. Only 80% of our revenue comes from these OnlyFans users, guys. We can we can turn that and, into 75 over the next three three years. And not to yeah. mention the other 20% probably comes from people who are watching porn and then like saw like, oh, yeah, um, 
I find if I find myself all of a sudden less tense, I'd like to go watch some jazz music. Yeah, so I'll go. <laughs> right. yeah that's the parlay into the other. Uh, that twenty percent was yeah. getting led to by the by the other offerings. Yeah, that, that would be a wild metric if it were porn number one, jazz streaming number two. <laughs> okay, now the one newsy thing that I want to bring up because uh, because this is a side of the NFL that not a lot of people know about or would know about. But I just found myself fascinated by offensive tackle Lyle Collins from the Cowboys apparently tried to bribe a drug test collector because he he missed he missed seven tests. Um, He's being suspended for five games. And 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 before anybody gets all up in arms about, you know, getting suspended for marijuana, you don't get suspended for marijuana anymore. This is why I'm going to I'm going to lead you through this, dear listener. And. And, and and just experience just how incredibly stupid this whole ordeal is. So you find out Lyle Collins is being suspended, something to do with marijuana. And maybe you think like, well, that seems harsh. Okay. Um, he missed seven tests. And, and somewhere along the way, he claims that they were all legitimate. A couple of them sound like they might be legitimate, but this is, this is the classic, well, you missed the first three. And then on the fourth time, that was when your uncle had died and it was the day of the funeral, but you already screwed up the other three previous right. times. Right. You established a pattern. Um, at some point, he tries to bribe a collector. These guys, these guys are all, at least they were back when I was playing and you were playing. These guys are like retired DEA agents, right. retired FBI agents. And they only hire guys that had sterling records. And they're obviously like living on a nice, comfy pension somewhere. They, yeah. These guys, they, are not- they do it. They do it for the passion. <laughs> yeah. You know, they do it for the they do it for the love of the game. They're not there for the big bucks. They have a code that they live by and they are there. <laughs> For the passion of staring at all these young athletes members and go, you better go directly in that cup. I, I love this job. They do. Uh, they do stare right at your member. For those <laughs> yeah, of you that yeah. have never had a drug test quite like that, they don't, they don't want you to be smuggling in a whizinator or anything. So they stare at your penis while they're doing it. And they only use, you know, a couple of guys for each team for the most. They've expanded the program. So there's more guys now, uh, but they probably get to know your member pretty well. So over time, if you tried to use a whizinator, they'd uh, they'd recognize it pretty quickly. It's not even that that that's not even like the embarrassing part is that they're that close. But it's just always the way that they they give you like a rating afterwards that I always found to be so I always awkward. It's so I'm like four out of what five five ten. <laughs> I always picture, you know, there's a, there's like at least one guy on every football team that's like obscenely, ridiculously like like stuff you rarely even see in a porn movie. Totally, like, like anatomically incorrect. You're just yeah. like, what the yeah. hell is that? Like, that yeah, that's <laughs> obviously a tumor. I always think of I always think of that scene in Boogie Nights. You know when um when they first see Dirk Diggler. And yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is like, oh, oh. I'm like, <laughs> like so taken aback yeah. at the enormity yeah. of it. I always wonder if there's every now and then maybe there's a, a drug test collector that's shocked by one of those dudes. It's like, oh, oh, oh okay, yeah. uh, here we he, go. Uh, he drops drops his cup of coffee, and then you're like, why are you drinking coffee? Take, in take here? your time, sir. Uh, yeah. I mean, what you, this is uh, the the stage is yours. Just uh, do whatever you. Okay, so we're not even done with how. We're not even done with how dumb Lyle Collins is. Um, so then, then, <laughs> so he gets suspended five games. The NFL 
says, hey, all right, NFL, or the NFLPA says, hey, NFL, this is too much. So the NFLPA negotiates the suspension down to two games. This is after Lyle Collins has missed seven tests and apparently tried to bribe a collector at some point. Uh, Lyle Collins says, nah, I'm innocent. I reject your two games and I want to go to an arbitrator. So they take it to arbitration. And this is crazy. The arbitrator says, oh, no, this is crazy. You deserve five games. And he got a five game suspension. He was down to two and he just wouldn't stop about it. So he's back at five. It's one of those things where it's it's obviously it's complete idiocy from top to bottom. I mean, that is it is you. I mean, you prefaced it with. It's not illegal anymore. It's not even what he did to himself. So then you're thinking like, okay, well, what were you worried about? I mean, what was going on? Like, what is there something else going on? But beyond that, it's just, it, it illustrates such a deep flaw in his decision-making that you're like, well, now we got a problem because you're an idiot. idiot. That's what I wonder, honestly, sometimes. And I think you and I have talked about this. I wonder about the whole Deshaun Watson situation where there's the current legal situation, But there's got to be a part to the Texans and other teams that thinks like, okay, what and who exactly is this dude that even if all of a sudden all the charges are dropped, there's a guy that apparently saw somewhere between 30 and 50 massage therapists in the course of a year was obviously doing more, whether whether it was consensual or not consensual, whatever the allegations are true or not. Not to mention there are other women out there who who maybe have similar stories who haven't come forward. And in all the, this isn't a class action suit, like where all of a sudden, once you settle these 22, nobody else can come forward. They right. can come forward. They could pop out of the woodwork whenever. And I don't mean yeah. that like with a negative commenta- connotation, pop out of the woodwork. We just don't know. I mean, there's at least one woman who's done an interview, two women that have done interviews that haven't pressed charges or, right. um, or, or filed for a lawsuit. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> like with Lyle, well, you're, just, you're just like you're so fundamentally flawed in your ability to have any kind of good judgment that right there's it's, no it's guarantee almost, you're not going to do this again it's kind of like Jameis. like Jameis, yeah is right. he's got he's got judgment issues and sometimes yeah. the judgment issues off the field don't transfer onto the field but for him it's like he's consistent across the board he yep. he he'll, he'll stand up on a picnic table and say bleeper right in the bleep uh on the quad and he'll he'll steal crab legs and then he'll also like try to throw a 40 yard pass as he's falling to his back. No, look like he just he's just got judgment issues and there's just almost nothing you can do about it. You wonder with with Deshaun, I think you have to worry about, OK, he's got more judgment issues than we thought with Lyle Collins, Lyle Collins. I, I, I'd love to find out exactly what teams did and did not know about him on draft night. When remember yeah. he was a person of interest in the death of his ex girlfriend, yep. he wasn't a suspect or anything, but it made his draft stock plummet. Yeah, you wonder, you wonder if maybe, because I at the time was saying, dude, take this guy in the second round because he's a first round talent, and you never have to sign him. Wait until the legal stuff is over. Yep. You never even have to. You never have to look like the team that has an employee who's a convicted murderer or anything. Just, <laughs> it's just, just it was worth the risk to take him the second or third round. But I wonder. Sure. I wonder if there was more to it. You know, like if he just had, if he had enough <sighs> judgment issues already on the scouting report that people were like, all right, this is enough. Well, it's hard to. That's a good point. It's hard to tie 
any separate incident together like that as though they're necessarily related. But what it does tell you is that as with all guys like this, or just people in your life, I mean, outside of athletics too, there's always, when you're involved in something like that, there's just tends to be an aura of mania and dysfunction in general. There's just like a cloud that follows you because you're comfortable putting yourselves in those situations. You're comfortable with kind of like the weirdness and everything else that just like devolves around you. Well, yeah, I know you you played with a guy like that, that that really, like has, has managed to get through pretty much his entire career, right? Without, without ever having anything serious stick to him. Yeah. Yeah, there's a handful there's of guys a, yeah. like that. I mean, some of those, yeah. it's, I mean, in a city like, uh, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to name names, but uh, rhymes with no. Yeah, I mean, that's well. I was thinking of even just like without going too far off the tangent, but when you know, I don't. I think it was maybe like my second year. Jerome Mathis was in my draft class when we yeah. were in Houston, and when we got out there, and he had he was went to like the Pro Bowl his first year. And then he got a motorcycle in the off season. <laughs> and yeah. do you remember this? No, I don't. I can't oh, this is so. how this this is how this all happened. He got a motorcycle, <laughs> and I saw the video where he had a motorcycle delivered to his house, his yeah. new super fancy house. And he wasn't like a big money guy. Right, he was drafted. Right. I think he was drafted after I was. Yeah. And he got there. He had it right off the flatbed. Hopped on it. Tried to do a wheelie on the street in front of his house. Laid it down. Broke oh, his no. leg. Oh, broke his is that leg. How it happened? That's oh, how wow. it happened. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And then just... he never, he never did the dude before the our our rookie year in camp when we were staying at the hotel there. Yeah. He was. I mean, you know, I'm gonna assume that uh, there's no kind of legal action here. Then, so if there is, then you know, delete this part. But the when we were staying in the hotel there, he had he spent a ton of his money on a which was not a lot as a signing bonus for when he was drafted on a powder blue Escalade with, for, with Lamborghini doors. Oh, right. <laughs> with Lamborghini doors that he had put on it, which, which was great because it's not designed to be that way. So water yeah. would leak in. So, oh, oh no, no. Yeah. And he was, I woke up at three in the morning. We, had, I think we had practice the next, I woke up at three in the morning and he was screaming or shouting and playing music and he was on the hood of his car. And I look out the window and he starts shooting a gun. In the air. Shut up. Swear to God. He's shooting a gun laying on the hood of his of his car. And and I was like, What the hell? Oh my god. This guy might not make it. (laughs) This guy might not afford it. Was that was that before or after he went to the Pro Bowl? That was but that was like in training camp. In training camp rookie year. Yeah. Um that well, I remember one time, I remember one time we were doing off-season workouts and and I was gonna try to make a point about, you know guys working hard and being rewarded for it and everything. And I, and I was, uh, I was pointing out like how Andre and maybe somebody else, Andre Johnson, and somebody else at the time basically won every single sprint. And, oh, yeah. and then I was like, raise your hand if you've been to a pro bowl. And at that point I was thinking it was Andre and whoever the hell else I was thinking of. They're the only two guys that are to a pro bowl. <laughs> Jerome Mathis raises his hand. And I'm like, Oh fuck. <laughs> Oh my whole! This is uh, not this is not illustrating my point at all. This is all screwed up now. Yeah, so basically, I was like, yeah, so, you know, ultimately, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. some of us are just more blessed than others. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you can run all day long. You're never gonna be as good returning kicks as Jerome Mathis because Jerome exactly. Mathis has gone as a special teamer, as a uh, as a returner. So. 
yeah, that was uh, that was that was those were good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good for him. I'm sure he's doing well somewhere right now. But well, I mean, the, the moral of the story is the delta between two games and five. If he had been been managed appropriately, and someone right. had just told him, which I guess tells you what kind of personality he must have, because there's no way his agent or someone else didn't try to beg him not to just take right, the two take games. Take this, take this, and it's right. not. And and you wonder, okay. For him to believe that he had seven legitimate reasons to miss drug tests and they work around your schedule, like they show up at your house. You don't have to come in or anything like for him to try to like he probably I think he might be one of those kinds of guys that really believes that he's innocent. You know, like guys that just flat out will not take right. responsibility where right. there's just always something I can remember getting in. Yeah, I got into this guy, you know. I can't I remember getting into a discussion with a kid on the Texans who was that way, who was like, he came to me because he wanted me to talk to coach. And he was like, you know, I just, I mean, my car, I, I got a flat tire, man. And I was like, yeah, but dude, you got a flat tire like five minutes from the stadium, it, like five minutes before the meeting was there. Like, if you'd gotten a flat tire in football, if for anybody listening, like in football, like basically you plan on being an hour early to everything. It just yeah. wasn't, it's a, you're not. And if you get fined for it, you know, like if you were, if you were kind of pushing it and you got a flat tire five minutes away from the stadium, you just know you're going to get fined. You just, right. that's just, that's the way it is. It's just a higher standard. The guy, the guy that was the most rambunctious and thirstiest for this that I think maybe I've ever seen was Eugene Robinson, who got in trouble. Oh, he got arrested God. soliciting a prostitute the night before yeah. the Super Bowl. And, and I remember at the time, you know, like he was trying to do damage control. He was on his way home from winning a man of the year award, like NFL man of the year award for all of the good work that he did, because he did do some good, a lot of good charity work and everything. But on his way home, he decided to pick up a prostitute. Yeah, it turned out to be an undercover cop. He got arrested the night before the Super Bowl. And I remember at the time, if I recall correctly, it was being spun as, hey, you know, he got caught because he, he had kind of just, he kind of just lost it. The pressure got to him. He'd never tried to do anything like this before. And it was a really bad error in judgment. And, you know, just the, the poor guy. Like, that was how they tried to spin it. Yeah. He came and spoke to our team. Were you there when he came and spoke to the team? I don't know. I don't think those, so. One of those off-season programs. And he, he was hilarious because he was talking about, like, hey, you guys know how it is. You're in a new city and you're just <laughs> driving around and you got you're like, where's the where's this titty bar? I Where are the hookers? <laughs> and you know, you just you just gotta find it. I'm like, man, I don't know. You know, know how it is, yeah. right? I don't know. Right? We know all know how it is. I don't know if I know quite like you do. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that at all, Eugene. <laughs> you know, how- you're Googling where are the prostitutes. You know, you know what it's like, Seth. You know, some guy like. uh some guy did that to Ted Johnson and I at the Super Bowl once. Did I tell you this story? We were broadcasting at the Super Bowl, and it was this kid. It was this little special teams player, really good special teams player from the Saints. Uh, he'd written a book at the time or something, and we were interviewing him you know, a year or two after Deflategate. I think it was the year after Deflategate. That was when it was still a huge – or excuse me, not, uh, not Deflategate, uh, Spygate. No, okay. not Spygate. Excuse me, Bountygate. Bounty Gate. I was going to say the one that happened with the Saints. Yes, yes, the very one. Got it. It was the year after Bounty Gate. And so he's talking to Ted and I, and and he's talking about this on air. 
And he's like, well, you know, you know, something it wasn't a big deal. It was like, hey, you know, if we knock this guy out of the game, you get a couple hundred dollars. You guys know how it is. And Ted and I were like, no, I honestly have no idea what the hell you're talking about. I don't know that. I, I do not know what that is like. That was never a thing. Oh, and that was, no. I, but I think there were guys on that team that maybe there were other teams that had done stuff like that. But that's the classic one of those things that if you're involved with it, you feel like everybody must be involved with it or doing totally. the same things. Yeah. But if you're not, it sounds like the most foreign, weird, ridiculous thing ever. Okay. So the one other thing that you had sent me, and we could do this real quick because I feel like we'll get in trouble if we don't. Uh, you sent me this Reddit thread. And I'm going to tell you right now, these Reddit threads are awful because every time I read one, I'll start getting into one of the conversations. And I'm like, man, these guys are making some really good points. And it's not <laughs> its not really the way I would have thought about it, but I think they're making some really good points. And then three hours later, I'll wake up in bed and be like, oh, I really should not be allowed to vote. I'm, uh... <laughs> totally, I'm going down. <laughs> Did I join QAnon? <laughs> what just happened? The earth is not these guys, flat. These guys make some really good points. So sure. um, it started yeah. off with this article about Boeing, the airplane company, who in, was it in the 1940s? Uh, basically bought a bunch of land outside of Seattle and put really restrictive racial like covenants in place that only white people are allowed to own property out there. And apparently, um, apparently they're still in place. And if you buy a piece of property there, it basically has a disclaimer that says, Hey, we don't abide by any of these covenants or whatever thing. All those are null and void, or at least according to somebody on the Reddit thread. But it, but the, the thread that caught my, the conversation that caught my attention, and I think it caught your attention too, was where people said, you know, that this was pretty common back then. And it's, right. and you know, like, so what, what are the common things right now that are going to be looked at with such anger, shock, or just derision 40 years from now? Well, actually, well, what are we looking at? 80 years from now. Um, and I do the only I, I hesitate to even phrase it that way because it's like there's a different dynamic. Like they they got into a discussion that is different than like a okay the dominant race keeping like subjugating other races. Yeah, that's that's like a clearly like there's ri- there's racial tinge to it versus just kind of like a weird social norm that's right. not going to be you know what I mean? Yeah. Wait, so yeah, yeah. I say that, but now. I mean, because it was like you're like racism in the 40s was so commonplace to the point right. where like to be anti-race, lots of people that were anti-racist or would have thought themselves were still pretty racist, you know, <laughs> like, the, yeah. well, like like Abraham Lincoln style of segregationist back in the 1860s, where Lincoln was still pretty damn racist, but progressive for the time. But you look at exactly. some of his, you look yeah. at some of his quotes now and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's a monster. But it was right. uh, it was. it's all relative to the extreme yeah it's all relative like what are you compared to the the dominant paradigm but they got into this discussion which is which is interesting about just okay what are we doing right now that's going to be looked at with disgust a hundred years from now and i think definitely i could totally see i could totally see vegetarianism being like the dominant thing a hundred years from now just I think because so too. either for economic or environmental reasons or something like you could just see you could see somehow that flipping oh, well or like artificial meat becoming palatable if, if somehow that works out or something like it's not outside of, it's not like that's what I want to happen or anything but I could see it happening and then like us all being looked on with disgust like basically as being the equivalent of eating the family pets 
Same. Yeah. I could see it just being one of those things where the scales, it, where it just tips in the balance where there's enough factors that just push it to where you're just shamed publicly for not being more open to just a completely non-meat based or, or they're, you know, they're like doing now, you know, they're growing meat in labs and that's going to become like the dominant way to, yeah. you know, manage the supply chain. That's true. So you, it's grow, just, you know what, if you could grow a bunch of cows that didn't have brains, I'd, uh, I'd eat the hell out of those. I mean, I yeah, eat the yeah, hell out of good. ones that have brains anyway. So yeah, uh, that's good I, for, that's good for nightmares also. I think that uh, I know, I know. Like maybe we could just grow them without heads. A nice, hygienic, <laughs> a nice hygienic, you know, matrix type of thing where you got them all living mm-hmm. in a hive somewhere. It's yeah, uh, it'll all yeah. be cool. And yeah, that would be fine. The other, and then somehow you could get the methane, you know, to turn into fuel that way more, more easily. You could recycle the methane from their farts and poop. Yeah. Yeah. Or we could eat vegetables. I think the, the hardest thing is, look, you pretty much accept that almost everybody, including the segregationists back in the 1860s were racists. Um, but not everybody wrote or wrote about it and left records of it. Whereas right. with me, I've got, uh, multiple different tweets and photos and Instagrams of me like devouring mammals. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that. Yeah. So, uh, so I wonder if my great grandkids are going to be right. like, oh my gosh, yeah, I can't believe I go to Seth Payne Elementary. Yeah. Uh, like, just I like all, all the all the pictures of you like at the barbecue rib eating contest. Yeah. Like the annual. Yeah. They're going to, well, <laughs> the, one, covered. the one that we're living right now completely and totally is homophobic slurs. Because yep. you and you and I grew up in oh, a yeah. time when that was like the standard currency of an adolescent boy it was to throw, to throw yeah. homophobic slurs out left, right, up, down, wherever, you know, that was that was what you did. And and I wonder, I just say like I, like it's it's kind of a, a cliche almost at this point to say, well, oh boy, if there was social media when I was a kid. But that's true. I mean, if there were like yeah. home videos or what have you of you when you were 13 years old, you'd think you were a little bastard monster, right? Oh, so I completely. Wonder- yeah. Think when you think about just in our lifetime, that's one of the ones that I, when you put that in the show notes, I thought like that is the perfect example because that's like in our lifetime where it went from being prolific. Yeah. I mean, it was like how everyone talked to each other all yeah. the time, always. Dude. dropping any number of kinds of like just homophobic slurs like nothing yeah like it was oh, completely yeah, yeah, yeah. fine and right. now it's it's gotten to where obviously i mean where it should be and what you understand yeah like there's just so little awareness of um uh of just how it affected people like or how 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 many actual homosexual or lgbtq people that you knew but didn't know you know like they, like you did you never had any, like you never had a clue how many people you were affecting close to you like in the same room by shouting a slur at somebody like, well, not, the, like how devastating even, that is to that person. Oh, totally. Totally. You know? I mean, a complete lack of like understanding. I, th- I think the difference with that, the only thing, and then clearly not to defend it, it's more just to, to provide context for it. It's just that truly at the time you're just like, not even thinking of it or comprehending it as a, like a, commentary on someone's sexuality that is not what's really going through your head you're just like oh this is just a term that we throw out there it's just it's almost synonymous with dude or whatever else that you're using and you're not even thinking about it in that way and then when it it dawns on you at some point that that's not at all what's happening 
is when you know it kind of you're, sinks you're in. like you don't think you're not consciously thinking of it but in your mm-hmm. mind you've lumped in all yeah. those things together they're Correct. like oh okay yeah. well there's uh, something unacceptable or something undesirable or something gross or disgusting right. it's just that word right yeah I, I can remember um the first time i ever really thought about it and i still have i kind of i wish i could find this this woman except I'd feel like such an incredible monster uh, in trying to explain why I wanted to talk to her. I was at Cornell and we were walking up. So I was a, I was, I was an adult at that point. I think I was in my sophomore year. So I would have been 19 or 20 years old. And, um, and we were walking up to some function on campus at night. And, and I, I called some guy uh, F word, you know, yeah. and uh, and uh, I, I kind of yelled it to him because he was a little bit away from me. And uh, and this woman who was walking by herself up the hill, like near us, up up to a group of we would have been like seven or eight football players. And we're all linemen, you know, she yeah. says kind of like with a smile on her face. She says, hey, keep the she said, hey, leave the gays out of it or something like that. You know, and and she looked I'd like she, if I had to guess, I guess she was lesbian. Um, And she, you know, she, and, and and but she said it. She said it in kind of like a playful but stern way, you know, or yeah. kind of like a, yeah. like in a little bit of an admonishment. And and I can remember thinking like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And then I thought about it afterwards. I was like, God, what does it matter what I meant? You know, like it's exactly. Not, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. like and I've got so much respect for that woman, because like I said, it was it was one woman talking to seven or eight huge dudes in the dark. And, yeah. and she kind of did it with like she confronted us, but in a way that was you know, still kind of playful in a way. Um, and I like that. It haunts me still when I think about just how much, like how much courage it takes to be that person and, totally. also, and it, what a bastard I was in that moment without like, without really having any clue about it until, until she pointed it out. And it's, it's that it's the shift in perspective when you realize that it's not their job to have to understand or try to empathize with what you meant. That's yeah. not their job. Right, right. It's no right, one else's yeah. job yeah. to get to the bottom of what your intent was. Yeah. That's not well, that's it's you need, it's you that's need to understand. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah. you need to realize is that what I was doing was and that's not their job. It, yeah. It's no one else's position to do that. I mean, I had that experience. I mean, when I, when I was in high school, you know, like my longtime high school girlfriend, her parents had gotten divorced when she was young and her mom was a lesbian yeah. and had been with a partner for a long time. And I was, and I can't remember the specific thing that I said. It probably was the same thing. And I think I was calling it to like a buddy when we were hanging out and doing something. And she stopped, literally stopped me in my tracks in front of my friends. And she just said very plainly, she's like, that's very, that's hurtful. Yeah. She's like, that's hurtful. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't mean it like that. I, you know, I didn't mean it like that. It's not even like that. Right. Like she's like, no, she's like, you don't understand. That's hurtful. And I was like, oh, man, it just really it makes you feel it's like I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah. You're just like, oh, God. I mean, it just. Yeah. My sister, my sister was always really good about stuff like that, about just being very blunt and like like stopped once and tried and basically told her to male friends or male white friends to get out of the car because one of them was one of them said something and the other one laughed and she was like, nope, that's it. Get out. 
get out. And they're like, what are you You're talking walking. about? And she ended up, she ended up having like a 10 minute conversation on the side of the road with him about why, why she was so pissed off. I bet he remembers though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, man. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go eat a small mammal. I think, uh, <laughs> nice. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to get canceled 30 years from now. Cause I mean, so, so apropos, it's great. <laughs> all right, buddy. I'll talk to you. All right, man. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments, a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.